Hey guys, welcome to the Indie Game Development Podcast. We tackle the challenges of indie game development head-on, from the technical to the emotional, and talk about the secrets to conquering self-doubt on your journey to crafting games people will love. Subscribe so you never miss another episode, and if you haven't already, give us a rating and review so that this podcast gets shared with more people. We'd really, really appreciate it. I'm Brandon from Sasquatch Bee Studios, and I'm working on a game called Samurado, and this is a really, really special episode because I'm joined by YouTuber and game developer Goodgus. He has a channel with 128,000 subscribers, and recently he completed a successful Kickstarter for his game Dewdrop Dynasty, where he raised a little over $30,000. All right, let's get right into it. Yeah, so for those people who are listening that don't know anything about Mark or your channel, Goodgus, just go ahead and tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. And don't be afraid to like hold back on the bragging because I, I'm just going to spoil a little bit here. You've got a YouTube channel. You're freaking killing it, dude. Like you're, uh, yeah, your channel's like amazing. It's been growing at lightning speed. It's been really, really cool to watch. So don't hold back on any of the bragging, any of the numbers, any of that stuff that you want to share is totally cool. Awesome. Well, yeah, I, as you said, I'm Mark, uh, going good guess uh, uh, on the internet, and I'm actually a full-time graph designer. That's what I do currently as my full-time job. Uh, and then on the side, I make videos, uh, game dev-related videos, and I'm currently working on a full-time uh, major game project called Two Drop Dynasty, um, which we did a Kickstarter last year and it got funded. So working hard at that, and that's pretty much it. Just uh, uh, all things creative, just finding new ways to learn and uh, make games. But that's that's my passion, really. So, you said full time graphic designer. Did I hear you correctly? Yes. Yeah, I actually work for a Fortune uh, 100 company that I shall not name, but um, <laughs> uh, as a full time job, and it's a work from home for, uh, position right now. So it's been fantastic, and they're super supportive. They know about the channel, and they're very supportive about it. So it would be amazing eventually to do this full time. And hopefully that's not too far off. So fingers yeah. crossed. <laughs> fingers crossed, man. Yeah. Like you, you're doing amazing stuff. So I'm just blown away a little bit because you've got a full-time job, you work from home. That's fantastic. So you get to save the time on commuting and all that stuff, but you've also, you've got Dewdrop dynasty that you're working on. And I know a lot less about the stuff that you've done in the past, but I know that you've done other stuff as well. I know that you've done, you've created a board game, I think, and had a successful Kickstarter yep. for that and other games as well, right? Do you mind just shedding a little bit of light on some of the past stuff you've done as well? Yeah, so uh, some of the first things we did uh, in my my studio, Fearth, that we worked on were actually like little browser MMOs that we made using Construct2, which is like, uh, I'm sure you've heard of it, but like drag and drop, a scripting language. So we made these online games. First one was Fantasy World. The second one was Whispers. And I wouldn't really call them, I would call them MMO loosely because it wasn't massive, but we did have multiple players online. And uh, that's really how it all began. That's how we kind of grew our community. And then we quickly realized that like creating an online game in this like framework is terrible. So we decided to like hold off on those projects, which people still play Whispers to this day. It's still available. And so from that, then on, we kind of switched focus and we worked on the, a board game called The Keep, which initially started out as just a project that I was like, I was trying to, I wanted to find a good, fun uh, board game with my friends to play that wasn't like break the bank expensive. Right. And I couldn't find any. So I'm like, you know, what? I'm just gonna, I'm gonna try to make my own game. I had no intentions of releasing it. <laughs> um, and I was in college at this time and a couple of my friends were like, hey, you should you should pursue this. So with the help of my friend Brad, we we worked on the game together and we we released it. And yeah, it's it it did mildly successful, a small release kind of where I live and people, you know, played it locally. But it wasn't until the YouTube channel that people started 
uh, wanted copies, so we did a Kickstarter for that. And we're actually currently in the process of looking for a publisher so that we don't have to manufacture anymore because if it's the worst part of uh, like any board game or a game like that. It's it's easy to sell games. It's hard to produce them. So right. And from there, yeah, we've done a lot of other smaller projects. But really, Dewdrop is Dewdrop. <laughs> the funny thing about Dewdrop is it was supposed to be like this small 30, 30 day project that we're working <laughs> on, and it's become something way way bigger. Yeah. Than we ever could imagine. So I, I understand similar that. story to the similar boat that you're in currently with your your game is <laughs> Yeah, that's that's awesome, man. So what is it that got you interested in doing game development in the first place? Is that something that you've always been interested in since you were little? Just you know, a little bit of background on that. Yeah, so it it's kind of like cliche, but it would just it, it really comes from uh, me growing up just playing Nintendo games. I love like Nintendo 64 era, which is a fantastic era in my opinion, yes, and the was. GameCube era really inspired me. And just as a kid, I've always been a person that wants to figure out, like when I watch a movie or read a book or whatever, I'm always curious, like how do they actually make it? Yep. Um, and it wasn't. Uh, it was actually a friend of mine. One day, he told me, he's like, "Hey, you know, you can make video games, right?" And I think I was like 12 at the time or something. And at that time, the only really the only game en- engine out there was like game maker so i'm like right. really i'm like what's this game maker thing so but yeah my dream has always been to just create like this awesome nintendo aesthetic that really like other indie games try to capture but it's hard to nail down it's really hard to make a, a nintendo styled game so that's kind of where my passions started and it's just grown ever since i kind of set it aside when i went to school for to be a graph designer but it was always kind of like burning in the back of my mind like oh, man i want to do this again i want to do this again and it's just pulled me back in so that's it's, so cool. it's one of the most rewarding and difficult things to do but <laughs> i i love it so much <laughs> yeah you're right on the money there man it's like oh i can totally relate to the fact that if you've got a dream of being a game developer i think that you you must be someone that likes some level of pain on some, some fashion because it's like oh my god it can be so challenging right but at the yeah. end of the day, it's like, I I haven't had a day in so long where it's like, oh my God, I can't believe it's only two o'clock in the afternoon. Like, oh my God, I can't, uh, I can't wait for this day to end. It's totally the opposite where I'm like, what? It's f-. like, it's only two o'clock. It's like, I've got so much to do today. It- uh, you're absolutely right. That's the best way of describing it. This, it's just this endless work, but it's fantastic. It's like climbing. You think you're climbing Everest, but it's like 10 times taller. <laughs> you're just not ready for it. That's, That's awesome. right. N64 era. I loved the N64. Do you have any, like, what were, just name a couple of your favorite games from the N64. I'm just super curious. Obviously, Ocarina of Time, yep. that's, that's a given. Yep. Um, but probably one of the most influential games on the N64 was Paper Mario. I just, there's something so, and this word is so overused, but it's just one of the most wholesome games ever created. And just the story, uh, story around it, absolutely love it. Grew up playing those, obviously, Mario 64. I'm like the big, Big Mario fan, playing the original Mario parties, you know, ruin your friendships. It's wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, that's awesome. So I discovered your YouTube channel a little over a year ago because of all of your devlogs for Dewdrop Dynasty, right? So you already give us a little bit of detail about Dewdrop Dynasty, but for those of us who are listening and have no idea what the heck Dewdrop Dynasty is, go ahead and shed just a little bit of details on that. Go ahead into whatever details you want, whether it's story, whether it's about your studio, because I'm actually a little bit confused about 
about the studio because initially I thought it was just you that worked on the game, but now I know it's you and Feareth Studio. So yeah, go ahead and yeah. shed some light on that a little bit. Yeah, so Dewdrop Dynasty is a super goofy, uh, off-the-cuff metroidvania. My intention kind of was to make something more lighthearted. It feels like the genre is generally darker games, which is totally fine, but I'm like, like it'd be cool to make something that's more lighthearted, kind of like Yoku. I guess Yoku Island Express is like a more lighthearted metroidvania. Yep. Anywho, so it's really tongue-in-cheek, and it's yeah, you your protagonist is a bee, who falls into this strange underworld place called Underland. And it's kind of the reluctant hero where he just wants to get back home and he gets into all these situations way bigger than he ever expected in the first place. So that's really what the game is. And it started out as a small project, like I mentioned before. And it's just every time I go to think about releasing it, I'm like, no, this isn't the game that I'm imagining. And the game has grown. And I realized that it's not because like, it's not like what I've, my idea for the game hasn't changed. I just realized that my expectations of what it was before and what it needs to be, there was like a big deficit between the two. So I don't know much more to say than that. It's been, been a journey to work on. And you're right. It is kind of confusing because the devlog started out as just being me kind of working on the game. So Fierce Studio, I should, I guess I should specify this. So Good Guess was kind of like my personal, personal brand. It's just me doing making games or whatever. And then Feareth is like our publishing. It's a studio that actually we publish our games and and like Dewdrop will be published through Feareth. Gotcha. Um and so under Feareth you have my my brother who's our community manager. He actually edits most of my videos. Uh I, I edited my videos for like the first year, year and a half, but now he edits all my videos. And then some close friends from college, Brad who worked on the keep with me and uh bonzo who's our concept artist he's done tons of concept artists uh, art for dewdrop he's all the stuff for the kickstarter he he made the art for so it's still like development wise i'm still the guy coding it i'm still the guy directing it doing yep. lots of stuff but um it's it wouldn't be possible to do the amount of work and all the different things that i'm doing without support from the team so and my wife also does stuff as well and she had like a pixar channel for a season a hot minute as well so nice but yeah so it and it, it did start off, it was kind of like a group effort, and then Dewdrop, it became like a solo project. But I'm like, there's no way I'm going to get this done in time. So I've really been recruiting the guys, and ever since Kickstarter, we've even before that, we've just been all working super hard to build out this world. Like, like how do you build out a world in a Metro being Like, how do you build out these characters <laughs> and these bosses? Like, at, at, at its core, it seems like a very basic idea. It's just like, play some rooms, play some bosses, play some item upgrades. But there's like so much more depth and things you have to think about lore and how do the mechanics work and is there a good hook to the game like all these things and so it it helps having it helps having people even just to bounce ideas off of so that's kind of that's kind of the situation uh, with Fearth and hopefully eventually I would like for the guys to make videos of their own so it's less confusing. <laughs> <laughs> awesome man. So just in terms of the actual development process of Dewdrop Dynasty what has the process been like for you? And you can talk about like any personal challenges and, you know, and also how long has Dewdrop been in production? I, I think you might've mentioned it a little bit just for clarity's sake, how long have you been working on it and what's the process been like? I think it's been two or three years. It's kind of embarrassing to think about how long it's been, <laughs> but it started off kind of like off and on. We were in production. I was, I'd work on it and then I'd work on something else, another project and go back to it. But it's yep. really been the last year 
it's been consistent development other than you know working on a video for youtube it's been just you know just focusing and working on it but with process are you are you kind of saying like the behind the scenes of like development wise or like what's a day-to-day -day or the focus or how organized or is there anything specific that Let's, you're looking yeah i'm kind of looking for what's the day-to-day -day development process been like to you just kind of like what's a day in the life of mark or goodgus like in terms of developing the game that's that's a great question and i think what's hard about it is that every day is so unique <laughs> uh just because i still work full-time it really varies on you know workload that I have that day. Some days are great. Some days I'm not busy at all, and I have freedom to you know jump straight into it. And some days you know aren't aren't so great. But when I do get to work in Dewdrop, one thing I've really tried to do is just structure, like make a a, a game design document. Uh, I use Milanote. It's just like interactive for me to put everything that I need to do, my checklist, the areas I want to work on. I will say it's hard when I haven't worked on the project and like you know, a couple days or a week, it's really hard getting opening up the project again. And it's like, oh man, what, what was I doing last? Yeah. Uh, so I try to be just like, take as many notes as possible. I actually, it's funny because I was just watching your, uh, your latest video today and your process of taking, like writing down notes of what you need to accomplish. That's exactly what I do. And I always put too much and I'm always <laughs> like, oh, I didn't get all my stuff on my list. I, we said that, I'm like, that's so, so real. I'm glad um, it's not just me. <laughs> <laughs> So that's that's kind of I have a, a bigger arching plan, and then right now I'm in level design phase. Uh, I literally have a sign on my wall right here that says "Dewdrop Dynasty or Bus," <laughs> one area at a time. So every nice. time I want to get distracted, um, I look at it. And so yeah, I've, we've really just been working on the areas because the level design in a Metroidvania I feel like is like ninety five percent of the work. It, there's just everything re revolves around it. So right now I've been having. My brother, he's been developing blocking out areas of the map, just like on on like pixel art map, and and then I have Bonzo do concept sketches of some props for some areas, and then I'll just jump in and I'll start blocking out levels. And it's I mean it's sometimes it's a little mind numbing because you're like each area has to feel unique, each room I want to have a unique prop, all this stuff. Yep. So that's kind of my purgatory probably for the next <laughs> I don't know like three three or four months. <laughs> But it's it's like I feel like I'm learning to be more consistent as a game developer because I feel like it's really easy to want to jump to like the fun stuff all the time, and that can get you into trouble. So um, I'm I'm behaving for now. At least I'm trying to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'm in so much agreement with you because you're far ahead of me, and I'm not even working on my Metroidvania right now. I'm working on uh, a roguelite, but it's it's one of those things where yeah i think you're putting all of your focus into the right thing like metroidvania everything revolves around movement and everything revolves around how can the character you know get from one area to the next and it might be through something physical like a dash or it might be through something a little more convoluted than that but yeah it's so much right it's like there's so many different little pieces in terms of how can the player get from a to b and you've got all this this big list especially by the end of the game this big list of abilities yeah. That you, you have to take every single one of them into account in terms of how does the player get from A to B and how do I block specific areas that I don't want them to get to yet. It's, exactly. it's crazy. It's crazy. It's kind of like a chicken and egg situation too because you have these levels that you need to make, but then you need the abilities, but you need the abilities to make the levels and levels <laughs> to make abilities. Like which ones do you make first? And we've kind of gone back and forth of we have some abilities made and then some were just kind of waiting because I feel like as you build up the areas, you're like, what, what if you had this sort of thing? Like, I feel like the areas, especially themed areas, 
kind of inspire like if it's a snow location it's like oh maybe you want like a, a freeze gun or something like or like i just some things come to mind when you're working on it yep so really that's kind of been our new approach is like design the areas and then the next pass what we'll do is like obviously we're having we're we're thinking like okay maybe you'll get this sort of ability but then once we get to there if that ability's not made yet then we'll play around with it and we honestly that that's another thing too is like metroidvania is like you want to make them unique you know you don't want to yep. be the same thing and i've really been i had like a little bit of an existential crisis and i was like oh no like it's this game does it not have a, a good enough hook and stuff <laughs> and then i just think back to shigeru miyamoto when he made zelda he was like he didn't he didn't have any playtesters play the game he didn't do any of that he just made a game that was super fun for him and he's like if it's fun for me it'll be fun for other people so that's kind of been our new approach is like instead of getting too caught up in this hook it's like let's just make something that's like kind of you know that's new that hasn't been done before but instead of getting stressed about like oh, what's what's the hook it's like let's just make the game enjoyable if it's fun then we can we can market it that way you know what I'm saying it's like it's not that hard it's not that hard to convince people that something's fun if it's actually fun yeah but yeah it's 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 a challenge i will say i don't know why i picked this genre for my first like major <laughs> release but i i really do enjoy it. i do i do love exploration games and i will say over the three years of development i didn't really play metroidvania games beforehand i've played them all pretty much <laughs> so yep it's really cool to hear you say that because um you don't hear that at least i haven't heard that a whole lot in terms of not worrying so much about this unique hook and i've i've played your game i or i've played your demo sorry and uh it's definitely unique in its own ways right so i i'll go ahead and say that right out of the gate but in terms of not worrying about revolving the design of the game around something that's marketable it's like oh we need to have this one thing that makes it completely stand out from everything else and i can't use hollow knight and as as an example for everything but i reference hollow knight a lot just because it did everything that it did so well right and yeah. i like i love hollow knight it's one of my favorite games of all time but to your point it didn't really may, maybe the art was a little bit new at least for me it was but in terms of mechanics i didn't see anything that i hadn't seen before in that game there was a little exactly. bit of bits and bobs from different things right and they they freely told i even saw an interview where they said like oh yeah we just stole all our good ideas from other games and kind of mashed them all together right it's exactly. uh, yeah they just they did something that they knew worked and they did it and they did it so well so meticulously well right like everything was so well crafted so i'm not bashing hollow knight it's just like yeah, they didn't really worry about having this hook. I, I would say their story and their art was probably their hook, but in terms of game mechanics. So it's just, it's really cool to hear you say that. It sounds like that's kind of the approach that you guys are taking in terms of, again, not making it not unique, but making it just like, I don't want to have to like, let's make this weird thing that now we have to, we're going to focus all our marketing around that one thing in the game. And people are going to be like, oh, that thing is so cool. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's really hard to do that too. And I feel like, if we were going to do that and kind of new devlogs, I experiment where I talk about animalings and, and dungeons and things like that. And some of those things may or may not be in the, the final version of the game. We're like our problem early on is we didn't do enough prototyping because we didn't think the project would be this big. Right. So yeah, we, we, there's just like hours and hours we'd spend talking about like, what if we, what if we did this? What if we did that? And I'm like, I know what I've done. It. I'm like, really all I'm going to make is Zelda, but like, side scroller not zelda 2 <laughs> but like like zelda side scroll and so that's kind of that's kind of the direction we're taking it now and it's we don't yeah you don't have to reinvent the wheel and i really like like you said even an art style can be a hook and i think people will see it like 
Um, I think of uh, my friend Jordan, who released Haiku the Robot. Like, that game is, a lot of people, it's very comparable to Hollow Knight. And, but people love it because it still has this unique spin. It's just like robots, like Hollow Knights, but with pixel robots. Yep. And it's, it's, does, doesn't do anything super radical, but it's just, a, it's a great game because of it. So you don't have to reinvent the wheel and you just have to, you have to put your spin on it, you know? And if you don't like it, if you're making something like that has weird, like dating sim mechanics and your Metroidvania, like if you want to do that, go for it. <laughs> but if you don't want to do it, don't force it, you know, just make a game you're happy with. So. I agree with you completely. I think it's easier to stay motivated on a project when it's something that you really enjoy, right? It's filled with all, this is the kind of game that you would want to play. Yep, exactly. That's awesome. Tell me if you can a little bit about like your highest moment. And when I say highest, I mean, like it could be something that you're the most proud of or something that's that you did that saved you a buttload of time, some some system that you developed, and also like what was your lowest moment in development where it's like, oh my god, I have to scrap like a month's worth of work, or have you had anything like that? So just kind of like your highest high and your lowest low. I feel like starting with the low, <laughs> I think my lowest low was probably it probably was the releasing the Kickstarter and the Steam Next Fest at the same time. That was a very stressful time. I bet <laughs> in my life because like I knew. My wife was pregnant at the time, and I knew that our baby was like due in November. <laughs> so I'm like, this. I wanted to get it out before that, and so I was just cramming. I was cramming. I spent like two or three months straight. I remember like in September is like my my birthday, and I remember during September I did not go out. I didn't do anything. I just worked, and like my wife would go out and like visit family and stuff like that. I'm like, yeah. sorry, I just have to I have to work. I, mean, I remember my birthday came along. And I just was so stressed out at the time. It just felt like, I'm like, is this even, am I dreaming right now? Just, everything <laughs> felt so surreal because I was just working so much. And it just so happened that work was busy at the time too. So everything felt like it was crushing down on me. Oh man. Um, and so that that was kind of a, a low moment. And then going into a Kickstarter where he was like, we weren't sure if we were going to make it or not. But I have to say, like that said, it also was like that, kind of is a high moment this is kind of a cop-out in a sense but um <laughs> just seeing the the community the support for people to rally behind it like your video was super encouraging at the time and just i like it was so it's it's a miracle i got funded and it really is a t- testament to the people that you know love to drop and watch the devlogs and so that was a super high moment also streaming on steam next fest was really fun it was really super awkward <laughs> it was like a thousand people watching you <laughs> and you're like oh and then you're trying to like you're like competing against like other like triple a games and stuff like that and you're like oh you're a bean you got a gun or people are like why does he have a gun and i'm like oh, don't don't worry about it yeah but yeah I, th- that was a, a pretty a pretty high moment and really the only other moments that i can think about like really high moments with development even just do drop i think it's just been the past couple months of actually having a project that you've worked on long enough that there's systems that like interact with each other and you didn't even like you didn't think they could interact with each other like i was working on some enemy ai and it like activated they opened up a chest and it caught on fire and it caught this bush and there's like these several things happen i'm like i didn't know i could do that like <laughs> it was the coolest thing building something that was complicated enough to kind of like live on its own so that's been super fun i, re- I re- honestly think that the most enjoyable part of a game is when you get past the like the infatuation phase in the beginning is fantastic i love it but then then it gets hard and then it kind of gets into that grind but there's like a middle point that you that you reach where the game 
the mechanics are in place and it's just like just working on it and i feel like that's a really great it's a hard place to be in but it's also a really rewarding place to be in where each day it feels fun like you've you've created this world and now you're just filling it out more so i feel like you know it's kind of a pop out <laughs> answer but no man that's like a great answer i'm in now is 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 where at on that so that's awesome no honestly that was a great answer now regarding kickstarter and you kind of answered this a little bit already so i just want to get absolute clarity on it so you i know now that you were not planning on doing a kickstarter from day one because you planned on dewdrop being a much smaller project than it became so yep. the whole kickstarter thing coming about like at what point and again, I think you might have answered this a little bit already, but just for like absolute clarity's sake, at what point during the development did you decide, I need to do a Kickstarter for this game? I'm going to do a Kickstarter and we're going to make it happen. Like, how did that come about and at what point? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, so of course, early on, it, it never meant to, I never meant it to be that big. And about one year in development, which was pretty early on, I'm trying to think how many years ago at this point, it was probably within the first year of the YouTube channel. I was talking to Reese Chauffois, my, my good friend, Canadian friend and fellow YouTuber. And he was really pushing me to do a Kickstarter. But at that time we were doing a Kickstarter for The Keep, our, our board game. And I just felt, it felt kind of weird to do one, like one after the other back to back, especially while we were still fulfilling orders. And it would have been a nightmare because right. we, for The Keep, we had to ship out like 600 copies. And if you've ever shipped out anything in your life, you'll know that's 600 copies. It literally filled our entire apartment. And so <laughs> I have footage out. It's all horrible. So, and then where do you drop that off? So, anywho, so it wasn't until last year, it was something I was kind of praying about. I was trying to figure out, I'm like, should I do this? And I was on the fence. So, it, it, the funny thing about the Kickstarter, and this is, I don't recommend this to anyone. I don't like, this is not good advice to follow. But I just saw less and less interest in Dewdrop. And I saw a lot more interest in other games I'm working on. Like I said, uh, there's a lot of people, there's a huge community that wants me to keep making Whispered. Like I started remaking it in Godot and it actually works. I'm like, wow, we could actually, we could make a, a good, a decent MMO or MO uh, again. And there's other games that people are really interested in. So I was on the fence of like, okay, do people actually want this game? So the Kickstarter in a weird sort of way was, it was to, to gauge if people wanted to see this game or not. It was like, it, because I wanted to do it, and if it failed, I was like, okay. It just shows that, you know, maybe the game wasn't interesting enough or whatever, there's just not enough interest. That's fine, I can move on and move to the next project. So that's kind of how I viewed it, I, and I went into it. But I didn't want to just like half-hearted, do like an like a okay Kickstarter. I want to put everything into it. This, yep. is, this was Dewdrop's last shot, and it really was. It was like, we, even like halfway through the Kickstarter, when we didn't know if it was gonna get funded, and we actually thought it wasn't going to get funded. We actually were already working on drafting up ideas for the, our next project. We're like, well, I guess we can move on to this now. And we were, that's just oh, to man. help cope with it. Cause we're like, <laughs> oh no. So that's really, it really started. I think I thought about three months before the Kickstarter, I was like, this feels right. The timing feels right. I wanted to do it before, you know, my daughter was born. So I'm like, let's just go for it. Let's see what happens. And like I said, the results were, very unexpected at first it was like super great and i talked with a, I talked with so many other kickstarters i reached out i reached out to jordan uh morris who made haiku and he gave me a lot of great feedback on a kickstarter i reached out to the developer of the lone fungus Bat batsy i think is his name yep uh super awesome super helpful he gave me so much like information and tips i reached out to monster sanctuary like pretty much any roguelike 
that had been funded successfully in Kickstarter. I reached out, got advice, reached out to other Kickstarters. I felt really confident that I'm like, maybe maybe we can hit 100K or something like that. (laughs) I don't know. I was like, lofty ideas at the time. So when when we did end up releasing the Kickstarter, I was really shocked because I was like, man, how like how are we gonna pull through this? So it was an interesting experience, and I think I think I did I made a lot of mistakes. I made a lot of mistakes of when I posted it, the the timeline of when I posted it. I don't think I had enough. Like <laughs> this is a contradiction of what I just said earlier, but I don't think I had enough of a hook at the time or enough content to show to really sell the idea of it. Because people, I had a lot of feedback. People like, this looks like the most generic Metroidvania. I'm like, and it does. It's like, I, I get what they're saying. So I think I, even though I, I try to take as much time and research, you, you can never do enough research. You can never, you can never like <laughs> make your page, you know, you can always improve your page and, and do things. And I think also timing it with the Steam Next Fest, I, I really thought that the Steam Next Fest and people checking out the, the Steam page would like convert to sales on Kickstarter. I think it converted to like 10 sales on Kickstarter. So that's like, I don't know if that's specifically just in my case or just in general. I think people on Next Fest are ready to buy something. They they don't necessarily want to back something. So that was, gotcha. it was just a, a major learning experience. And then, yeah, it honestly came down to the community. And like I said, we know, we know how that turned out. So like I said, I feel like I did everything wrong. And the only reason that I was spared is because of how amazing my YouTube community is and the pe- how passionate people are for the game. So, yep. So you were successful. So, but it was obviously very, very stressful. And there was a lot of points where, uh, like, I was following how it was going, and I was kind of like, "Oh my god!" Like, I'm not, I'm not sure it's gonna make it. Right? <laughs> like, it was kind of like I was like, "Holy shit!" Like, I wonder if he's got like a trick up his sleeve kind of thing. And oh. so, you know, all of that stress and everything, I. I think I probably know the answer, but I want to hear it from you anyways. Like, would you do it again? Was it worth it? I think it was a great learning experience. I think Kickstarter is also a great platform. I've We've had a lot of success with, like, when we did the Keep Kickstarter, it was like we asked for $10,000 and we raised almost forty. So it was like, it's very different. Then again, we made mistakes on that too, which we could have done better. So I don't regret it for the, the fact that it got it out there. It got in people's hands. But there was a demo for people to play. It put it out there. We gauged interest from it. Now, would I would I cram like that again? That that's <laughs> I'm not intending to. So right. Um, it was just was such it said it was such a stressful time, and you when you cram, you just you're really not getting you're not being as productive as you think you are. You're just like a zombie at that point. And I like I didn't I didn't stay up all night. I'm I've, I'm a firm believer of never pulling overnighters. Like even in college, I never I never got up early for supper overnighters. I'm like no if. <laughs> I'm just going to accept my grade for what it is. Yeah. And that's always worked out in my part because I just was well rested. I need my eight hours of sleep. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, I, I think I, I learned so many valuable lessons from it. And I don't know if I would, I, I feel like I would do Kickstarter again, but I know a lot more of, on what would succeed. Like Kickstarter is already harder for video games. Me personally, I think it's harder for video games. Or if you do something, it's got to look beautiful. Like, right. It doesn't even, even if you don't have an idea, if you just have beautiful art, people are like, oh, that's amazing. And the one thing that Dewdrop has is very deceptively simple looking graphics. Like people are like, oh, I can make that. And I think that's why a lot of kids like it and a lot of people respond well to it because it's like, it's very inspiring. It's like, oh, I can make a game like that. Whereas if it was like, you know, like Hollow Knight, like most people like can't make art like Hollow Knight. You're just like, how, how do you do that? Like, take, take my money, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so there's a lot of factors, I think, 
if if I were to do it all over again, I would like, yeah, I would think graphics first. I would you have to think about how you're trying to sell it. And obviously that was not this is, has been more of like a passion project than it has been a business like endeavor, I guess. Right. <laughs> Which is it's a terrible idea, but we'll see how it ends. <laughs> see how it turns out. So the feedback that you got and that that would be hard to take, right? That you said you got feedback saying this is the most like generic looking Metroidvania that I've ever seen. Do you think a part of that is like as a developer, it's really, really difficult to put you like because you've got the vision for the whole game. It's all in your brain. You you have the big picture. You have all this like really crazy stuff that you want to put in and you're going to give the players a really good time, but it's not all created yet. So do you think that a part of that is just like it's really difficult to separate your own vision from what potential buyers are seeing on their screen where they're kind of like, oh, like, well, they, they don't they don't have your vision. Do you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that's I feel like that's exactly you're describing what went wrong with the Kickstarter is we knew we wanted to update the artwork and make it high resolution and sense more colors and stuff because it was very monochromatic. And so going into it, it really was just a lack of time. And I think what would have probably would have helped the Kickstarter and make it way more successful is if we delayed it, if we delayed it back to and that's we talked even about like if it if it didn't go through doing again in February or March and then just like working on it more because like if people saw what the game looks like now I think people would have been like oh this this game looks incredible like because even the the level of, of polish that we were at at that point is like it's like here and we're here and before it was like, like down here so it is really hard I think this is the hardest part about marketing your game before it's done is like people don't understand when they see it like it could be like it could be placeholder art or it could be like or like you could be working in the same area for 10 months and people are like, why are you still working on this area? It's like, <laughs> I'm working on it because I'm working on these other mechanics and things like that too. So it, I think it is hard, but I think in the end, that's what, like for me personally, I work on uh, devlogs and I keep, you know, talking about Dewdrop, but the push for it probably won't be until closer towards the end. So people can actually see more of the width, width and breadth of the game. Because once they see it, they're going to be like, oh, like I, I get what he's saying now. Like this doesn't feel like you're just a bee with a gun in a desert and that's the game like that because that does feel incredibly generic and it is hard it is hard separating like feedback from people you know because everyone obviously has their own they have their own idea of what your game should be like and when you have a platform like like we do it's really hard because you want to take you you want your game to be better you want to get feedback but you can get to this place or if you take everyone's feedback and you listen to everyone, you're going to make the most generic, boring game ever. <laughs> so eventually you have to just decide, no, you're wrong. And I'm going to add this talking rat who yells at you, you know, so, or something really random. Like, like you just have to like, and I'm, I've got some, I've had some super weird, super weird feedback about Dewdrop. I'm like, I don't know where this is coming from, but no. <laughs> uh. all, it's one of those things about feedback. It's like, oh my God. Like it's, it, it, it's hard to take on the one hand, but it's like, oh my God, it's really hard to separate out what feedback should I take and what feedback should I ignore? Because a lot of it is going to go against your better judgment because you've got the vision for the game and they, you know, oh, I think it would be really cool if you added this kind of generic thing or whatever it is. And, you know, my channel, my YouTube channel is nowhere even remotely close to where yours is. And yet I've already gotten to a point I've gone in and I've gone out of this stage where I'm like, I have to stop reading my comments because oh, yeah. 
it's it's affecting me so negatively like whenever i post something it's like oh it's like blah there's all all this stuff <laughs> that is just like it's it ruins my whole day it's like oh my god like it, it just makes me feel like i'm working on this piece of crap failure and that so you read that and of course because i'm stupid I read it right when I wake up in the morning. So it's like first thing before I've had my coffee, it's like, oh my God, this is the worst thing ever. I'm I'm also, I'm kind of just curious. Can you relate to that a little bit in terms of just feedback and you reach times where you kind of need to step away from it a little bit for call it mental health, call it what you will, but just for your own, like you need to keep yourself in a good creative headspace and you got to take a step back from that. Oh, definitely. Like, it's, I used to answer, I, I used to reply to every single one of my comments and I did it until I was like at 80,000 subscribers. Wow. And then it, it reached a point where I was like, like, I would just spend hours <laughs> like just like replying. A lot of it was like, thanks, thanks, thanks. It's like really generic <laughs> stuff, but I try to give that time to, you know, people that take time to comment. But yeah, it would get to a place where I just would feel super anxious because you know, you don't know what people are going through. They could have, they could have just found terrible news or they're just looking for a fight yep. or they're like five years old, you know, like you never, you never know what's going on. And so now I've got to this place where I, I really don't look at my comments a whole lot. <laughs> I do when I post a new video, yep. I check in on it. And whenever I see the notification, I always dread it. I'm like, oh, someone, uh, someone comment. And then I see <laughs> it, I'm like, oh, like, but for every, you know, hundred amazing, nice comments, there's one just absolutely rude comment and yep. it, and it and that and it messes with you it yep. really does like because you think about like okay yeah don't let you know one mean comment get to you but like how often i like to someone come up to you and be like hey you jerk like no one like people <laughs> like human beings don't normally do that you know maybe if you're like driving on the side of the road or something but i don't know it's just it's not very it's very strange but i noticed that i I start to get very paralyzed the more I read comments and it makes me not want to work on the game. It makes me get into this perfectionism. Like I, yep. this game's got to sell this many copies and this, this and that. And really my mindset is ultimately I'm making this game for myself. If I'm not happy with it, then that's, that's who I'm making this game for. And if it, regardless of how it does, it, it doesn't change anything. You know, it's only a bad game. If you release it when it's unfinished, like that's, there's an author said that it's only a bad book. If you release it too soon, you know, and, so I could make it, people could, could hate this game and it could be like, the community could be so let down, but just relieving yourself of those expectations that people have, because people like will write something that's very sweet, but they're like, oh, this game's gonna be better than Hollow Knight. I'm like, guys, don't, don't say <laughs> like, that's, that's, it's not even like comparable. And I know people are just being nice and people are really excited about it and they're looking forward to it. But I'm the most productive when I forget I have a YouTube channel, yep. I shut it off and I just work on the game. I add this feature. Honestly, I get the most embarrassed about the game when people ask me about it. They're like, I've had like uh, family members like, so what's the game about? I'm like, well, it's, it's a little bee. And I'm just like, oh, yeah. it's, have you played Metroid? But that's what I, I Talking so to family is the hardest. Oh my God. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's like, I want to melt sometimes. <laughs> yep. But I appreciate the support, so. Yep, 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 for sure. It's just, um, you end up having family members that don't really, they don't really get it, you know? So, yeah, just about this comments thing, like I'm so, uh, and I know I'm kind of off topic a little bit here, so we'll get back on track in just a second. But 
uh, in terms of productivity, you, you said something that really sparked something with me. And I actually think, I don't know what the quote is. I don't remember it word for word, but I, I think it was Steve Jobs that said something about like the most productive business owner or, and I think in this case, you could sub in uh, artist or creator or game developer is someone that knows how to say no. Right. And yeah. I, I kind of take it as like, I want to reply to every single email that I get. And I don't even get, I don't get like that many at this point. I can only imagine when I'm at the stage that you're at, when I have a hundred thousand subscribers, like, oh my God, the amount of emails that must come in. So thank you for reading mine and agreeing to this interview, because I'm like, it's one of those things where I'm sure you probably can't read every single thing that you get. And if you take yeah. comments into that, it's like, oh my God, if you view every comment as like, yeah, I read every single one of my comments. I, I reply to every single one of my comments. That's so much time out of your day and so much mental energy that it's taking away from you i feel like yeah it feels like busy work to me and i i don't want to say things that are going to put off any of my subscribers or any of your subscribers because the comments are always appreciated 99 out of 100 of them are always like really beautiful and really like really appreciated comments but this whole expectation when i put it on myself of i have to reply to every single one of them that would take me several hours like every single time i post a video and exactly. i post two videos a week like that would be that would be quite a lot right and for you you get i don't even know probably i have to imagine hundreds and hundreds of comments if not over a thousand comments on each of your videos that do really well are you of a similar mind in terms of like my like especially you've got this full-time job right so it's like if you're working on dewdrop dynasty being distracted by comments and text messages and answering people on discord and checking your email and all of this freaking busy work that is not you working on your game and it doesn't mean that we don't appreciate people reaching out to us but it's like email is busy work discord is busy work. it's not even oh, yeah. work it's like the community building it's important and it's one of the most enjoyable aspects for me. It's not quote unquote, it's not work, right? It's like yeah. work for me is sitting down programming stuff, making levels, all of that stuff. Are you kind of, I'm just wondering, are you kind of of a similar mind with all of this? Absolutely. It's, it is frustrating because at the end of the day, you have to work on the game and the game itself takes forever. You know, like you could spend a whole day just to get a menu done or something. Yep. And it's like, <laughs> But before you can do any of that, yeah, there's this this over here and this over there. And and there's a fear too that like if you don't reply to your comments, if you don't do this or that, that people aren't gonna like you, they're not yeah. gonna want to engage. I realized I was getting caught up in that. But I mean, like if you had you know, if even if you had five hundred people walk up to you and be like, Hey, hey, yeah, uh, how's it going? They're asking you questions, like in person, you'd be like, uh, uh you'd be like, I'm sorry guys, one at a time, <laughs> raise, raise hands, get in the line, you know what I'm saying? Like yep. it's just it's so much and someone said i uh, was a inspirational speaker said that even though you have enough room in your calendar you don't always have enough room in your soul you know like there's just eventually just sucks energy from you yep um and like and like you said like it's it's one of the most rewarding parts of just talking to people yes, like it I, is. I don't even like anyone on my discord can message me like i didn't make it so you can't message me people message me all the time random stuff but that's i i feel like that's part of what why i have this platform in the space is to be a part of the community and to encourage all times as kids and i'm i'm just trying to be to encourage them to do game dev pursue being creative and just being in, an encourager but when it comes down to it it's like you have to work on this game you know it's yeah. like it's like you can't you can't make videos work and make games and reply to all stuff and emails and stuff it's just too much so really what it's it's gotten down to is like i've really stepped away from yeah commenting 
And it's actually my my brother also goes through the emails and he's like, hey, you should check out this one. So a lot because a lot of times it's just spam. It's like I've gotten Rachel out. Legends has reached out like 10 times. I'm like, no, I'm not working with you. <laughs> and like, so it's stuff like that. So it's finding if you can, it's finding definitely ways to delegate that to people. And we have like on my discord, we have amazing moderators and community. And that's what the fear team is super helpful with that, because I can pop in, say hello, chat but I'm not worried about, you know, growing that, managing this and doing that. And really the more you can delegate so you just have the time to develop is 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 critical. It's 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 the most valuable thing you can you can possibly do. So awesome. For sure. Awesome. Cool. So speaking of comments and YouTube and all of this stuff, I have I have questions about YouTube <laughs> because like I said, you're you're absolutely killing it. You've got a lot of success on YouTube. And I think right now I checked just a couple of days ago, your channel currently has like a uh, little over 120,000 subscribers, I think. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, please. Do you think as a game developer specifically, do you think it's important to have a YouTube channel to to find success in game development? I, I do think it's, whether it's YouTube, whether it's Twitter, whatever it's, whatever platform it is, I think if you want to sell your game and you're not, you know, pitching it to a publisher, or even if you want to pitch it to a publisher, I think it's it's vital. Like, I think it's the only reason, like three years ago, I was just a guy sitting on a computer making games. I, I was like, I'm no different than I am today. But there's, I have a following of people that love and support the channel and what I'm doing. And it's it's very surreal. Actually, it, if, like, I don't feel any different, you know what I'm saying? But with that now, I'm I, Thomas Brush has a great video on this too. I think it was his uh his three hundred thousand subscriber video. I love that. He was video. talking about how that super candid. I love how honest he was and just how having having that community, it's it's more valuable than you know anything else because no matter what you do, you have people that are there to support you. Yep. And not everyone's gonna be interested and in, you know, like I, I have people that subscribe to me because of the board game stuff and people subscribe to me as the free software stuff and you know, all these different things. So not everyone's going to support you, uh, what you're doing, but it's better to have a community that supports you and, and no product than a product and no one who like, no one who knows who you are. And I, it's hard too. It's, it's hard. If you're just getting started, I don't know if I re recommend it. Cause I think you should just have fun making games. I think you should just make games, learn. But if you, if you are committed to, you know, you want to sell your game and release it, I would try to jump on the YouTube bandwagon while you can, because who knows how long this train's going to last. You know, that's right. that's my mindset is I, I kind of think like the early indie titles. So you have like Braid and Bunny of Isaac and these games that they got deals with uh, Microsoft. There's really these unique situations. And then they had these connections. And that's how indie games became really popular. Yep. And it feels like the new way is through social media. It's like people just making like TikToks or they're on Twitter. I've, I've heard of games that just got like a bunch of followers on Twitter, just posting screenshots, then they sold it and they're super successful. Wow. Um, or YouTube, like you don't like the, the sad thing is, and this isn't something that should be abused, but I feel like even if you had a big following and you made a terrible game, people are still going to support you. Please, please don't do that. You know, <laughs> but it, it's at this place where, and I, like, I've heard of people in the industry, they're like, no, you don't understand. It's like, this is you, that doesn't happen. Even in the industry, like people don't support you like that, like they they would on a YouTube channel. So if you can, it's 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 a hard journey, and I feel like I feel like it's survivor bias too. Like anytime you have something super successful, of course there's there's reasons why things grow, but like 
at the same time, if people just don't like you, then your channel's not going to grow. And that this sounds really mean, but like, if if you're making something if that's and that's not what people are interested in, or maybe it's too niche, or maybe people just don't know about it, there's a million reasons why it might not grow. Right. But you'll never know unless you try. So I remember seeing Ponty Pants he, when he hit 10,000 10, subscribers. I'm like, oh, I could do this. And that I just started making videos. And I never expect, I never would have thought it would have gotten as big as it has. And it's actually in, incredibly surreal to like be here now. And it, it's, it's, very strange to be honest. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because yeah, that that's the perfect segue into my next question because starting a YouTube channel is notoriously really, really difficult, especially the beginning stages. It's like you're doing so much work for no money to give you some context. And I'm going to be a little bit selfish here because I've got you on camera and I want to like soak up as much of your wisdom as I can, because I have published I think over 80 videos since I started YouTube. And I got to tell you, like, I'm very, I'm very proud of the fact that we hit over 5,000 subscribers. That was a really, really exciting number for us. But your channel blew up so fast. Like, I think I, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I I'm, I'm going completely off memory here, but I think you had like 80,000 subscribers in your first year. Maybe it was a little bit more, a little bit less, but somewhere around there sounds about right to me. I think so. I think it was like uh, maybe 50, 60, but it, okay. was, it was somewhere in that okay. yeah, ballpark. So what is your secret? What, like, what do you do? <laughs> how did, how did you blow up your channel for anyone for, for myself included, but for anyone that's listening that really wants to blow up like a social media, especially YouTube, like what did you do? And you know, like just what, what's your secret sauce? Go ahead and spill it. Yeah. So I feel like there, I feel like there's a couple things, of course, some of them include luck, which is like the, the dirty word, <laughs> but, um, Really, at the time I saw, there wasn't a ton of channels when I started. There were, but the, of course, you had Jonas Tyroller, who's loved his devlogs, a big inspiration. And you had Blackthorn Prod and, and Mrs. Zizis and, uh, you know, these other channels. But yep. there wasn't a ton of people. And like I said, I saw Vimlark, I think it was like 2020. I'm, I, I get, I'm pretty sure it was 2020. And I saw Vimlark growing and I'm like, man, he's growing. And this sounds bad, but I, I saw what they were doing. I'm like, you know what? I could do that too. I'm like, I feel like I could do even better. Like I like not better than, not as a comparison, but I'm like, I know I have a background in graphic design. And uh, I actually, when I was younger, when I was 13, I had a Let's Play channel and I made videos. I had like 80 subscribers. And you got back that in the voice, day, was... dude. I don't, I don't mean this to sound <laughs> weird, but you got that voice that's like friggin' like, I don't know. There's something so soothing about your voice. When I listen to your videos, I'm like, oh man, this guy's like, you know how people make like cozy video games. You've got like these like cozy devlogs kind of thing. It's just like, I don't know. I appreciate it. <laughs> See that, that part is like, I don't know. It's genetics. Or something. <laughs> I can't help anyone else with that, but no, it really was like, well, when I was younger, what I, what I would do is with my let's plays, which they would get like, they want to get that many very many views and I would just I would just do commentary and I actually would practice my commentary which I think has helped me now being an adult and because I didn't have to learn everything from scratch because I think that's a lot of things when you're making devlogs you're trying to figure it out yep so going into it I just feel like okay I have this whole genre or I have all these like little projects that I've worked on and I think one one thing to really get people's attention is art like it doesn't matter. Like I've noticed this recently. And even if you like my last two videos are like a prime example of this, if you have pretty art, it doesn't necessarily matter what the game is. People are just like, Oh, this is, this art's very pretty. So like my, yeah, my last video, my scratch game, 
I just use vector art because that's primarily what I use for my, my job. And people are like, oh, this is beautiful. I'm like, wow, how'd you do this? And my whole idea was like, how can I make an incredibly beautiful Scratch game? Because Scratch isn't notorious for that. Right. And so I think that was early on, my early comments were like, wow, this is this is very professional for someone with you know 10 subscribers and stuff. So I just hit, I hit the ground running. And even with editing, my first video is terrible, by the way. It's like me monotone, like, oh, hey, man. <laughs> yeah, I was like, because that was like the style of videos at the time. It was like, uh, I think what Bargy described it well, that like devlogs back in the day were just like people talking monotone and showing uh, like them outside and glimpses of rivers and there's like lo-fi music and yep. stuff. So it really just, it started off from, from that. My first video, my DJOP devlog got, I remember I hit 50 subscribers within like a week of just posting that video. And I was like, for me, I'm like 50 subscribers. <laughs> and then my, after that, I made a video every week for like four months or something. I, I posted so many videos and I just, they were based off of games that I already made, but I have like a rule when I make videos, they have to be, they have to be entertaining for one. So there's, there's gotta be humor involved. They have to be educational. There has to be some sort of educational purpose to it because not everyone likes my humors. I used to have a lot of screaming humor in videos and people got really ticked. I like, <laughs> you could see like the audience retention and we'd always like jump down at the screaming here. I'm like, okay, we'll drop that. <laughs> so you want to have something uh, educational for the people that, you know, are interested in programming or whatever. And the last thing, and this is the most important thing ever is you have to tell a story. Like people just love storytelling. I, like I watch YouTube channels of just like guys walking in the woods and they're like, the camera's horrible and they're just tell, telling about their childhood and stuff like that. As human beings, it's a tradition that has passed on from the like since the beginning of time. Is that we we love stories, we love good stories. So, if you can take and one channel that actually really inspired it was Nick Robinson, who who like he does like video game videos. Like he found like the voice actor for Monkey Ball and stuff like that. But he's so dramatic in his videos. Like some things things that that aren't really dramatic. He just does such a great job of making it feel like. It's the most profound thing ever that he went to McDonald's and got a McChicken or something. Like, and because of that, you get excited. You're like, oh, and there's like this climax. It actually feels like this story. So I feel like the combination of having an art background and editing. My my brother also like self-taught editor, but he was like into film. So it was like a no-brainer after a while to have him switch over and and edit. I think those really helped me grow early on. But there were seasons because there was like, I think, I feel like only recently have I had significant growth compared to like some of my other friends on YouTube who just like, they got, they would get like 20,000 subscribers in a month, which is absolutely insane. Like, I don't know, like, like Polymars, like, how'd you do it? So, <laughs> so I never had anything super viral, but it was just con really consistent. And I tried one, uh, you know, one thing is just being experimenting, seeing what people like. I tried doing software videos. And seeing it, and those did really well. But I realized I'm like, that's great, but I don't want to just be like a software guy that people are like, hey, what software should I use? Like that's like then people aren't really going to care about what I'm doing. They just want, you know want information. And then I, I guess I started out kind of as like a motivational speaker guy, like, hey, this is what you should do with your games. And I feel like I've stepped away a little bit, stepped away from that, and now I'm more in the entertainment role. So and just the funny thing too is. The longer I go, the less I edit, like the less editing we do, the more raw we make it and the more authentic. Cause I feel like that's, that's really what people want to see. So I don't know. It's, it feels weird. It feels like there should be some secret sauce, but really the thing is like thumbnails, titles. Like if you're, if your video is a bad idea, 
nothing's going to save it. You know, no editing is going to save it. If it just, if people are interested in it, if it's too niche, like I did a video, one of my worst performing videos was me doing a video on a game jam I hosted. Of course, it's not going to do well because it's so niche. The reason I made the video was to support the people that did the jam. So it wasn't like I was trying to like hit a million views or anything, but I found that really right now, the best thing to do are like more broad, broad videos uh, involving programming, like my Python video did super well because the game dev community is probably like, I don't know, half a million people. I don't know, maybe it's more, but it feels like it's around half a million people. But the Python community is like 8 million people. And there's people that use Python that might be interested in game development, even if they don't make a game. Yeah. So trying to find those broader interests and Scratch is like one of the most used, like everyone uses Scratch, a lot of kids use Scratch. So finding really broad interests and, and then still like, when I do a Dewdrop devlog, it doesn't perform as well. But that's okay because it's still there for people to check out. It's kind of like, hey, here's my fun video, and here's something more niche if you're if you're looking into it. But I feel like that's kind of what I've learned over the past couple of years. And it every year it feels like it gets a little bit easier. Sometimes you just hit a drought where you're like your videos just just don't do well, and you're just like, wow, and you start <laughs> like to try hard more. You're like maybe I'll just uh you know i'll make a game and hold my breath for 24 hours you just like it starts to get insane it's like no just keep it it's you don't have to overcomplicate it so i think it was mr beast says that like don't blame the algorithm there's ways to solve it maybe you're what you're doing is too niche maybe it's too broad and just keep experimenting until you find that and once you find it keep like jumping on it like that's what polymars does such a great job he he finds a niche and then he just keeps sticking with it and he's grown so much his second channel is like it's not bigger than his first channel but it's getting there i was actually if you saw me looking down it's because i was taking notes <laughs> so <laughs> for for you know if anybody's interested in a summary i've got uh art is like super super important if the art looks good then then people really do care so having a nice nice looking art in your video is super important you're going for kind of an entertaining slash educational slash tell a story type of approach yeah. um I really like the story thing too, because you're totally right. Like since the dawn of time, people, people love hearing stories, like, like even like caveman paintings and all that stuff. Like it's just from way, way back, obviously authenticity, really, really big. I'm finding even with myself now too, like my wife has always done the editing for, for the videos where you see me on camera. That's always been her. I do the tutorials because she, she doesn't know code. So it'd be really hard for her to be able to like piece it all together. Right. But that isn't as much work for me that that's pretty easy to do. But the Monday stuff, the editing's gotten a little bit easier, I think. And I'm doing a little bit more ad libbing because it's like, or not ad libbing. Like I'm just going a little bit less on the script because I'm yeah authenticity I'm noticing seems to be really really important and I'm noticing it I'm having more fun when I'm doing that I notice that you know performance seems to be doing a little bit better when I do that so I can I can vouch for that as well and obviously thumbnail and title and broad interests so thank you for that I was I was jotting notes down while you were talking (laughs) of course (laughs) it's it's one of those things too like sometimes people just hit it they have a season where they they do super well. And it always like sucks when that's not you. You're like, oh, I guess so-and-so is doing well. And you're like, you're happy for them, but you're also like, oh, man, what am I doing wrong? But in my mind, I feel like if we all grow as a community, it's only going to help all of each other. Um, so I'm really big on trying to help other channels and, and see how they grow. And a lot of times they end up passing me up. I'm like, how would you do? And then I ask them <laughs> for advice. So That's awesome. Uh, so yeah, thank you so much for that. For sure. So 
you became a father recently, obviously, because your wife was pregnant when, uh, when you were doing the Kickstarter and all that. Oh my God. Like that's the amount of stuff that was happening in your life at that time. That's just crazy. So I'm just curious. And I wasn't even sure when I, I do, I did a, uh, just for context for the people that are listening, I did send you questions in advance, but I didn't even know when I prepared these questions that you had a full-time job. So like, holy friggin' crap, like you're, you're balancing YouTube, you're balancing game development. You've got a new family, right? Like you, you've obviously been married for a while, but now you've got a kid and you've got a full-time job. Like, how are you balancing everything? Like just, how do you do it? It's, it's tricky. I feel like sometimes I do it better than others. And I definitely, when the baby was born, I, I, I had time off and I just took that time off. I'm like, I'm doing nothing for a month. I was just like, just <laughs> spending time with family and i thought i was like oh it's gonna be great i could rest up and no of course having a baby is so much responsibility yeah but yeah it's it is tricky i think the my biggest secret of doing all this stuff is just the support group i have around me like i said my brother is like super helpful he's really goes behind the scenes but he just helps make his job is to make my life as easy as possible and um, doing that, it just has allowed me to actually have time to work on it. And it's, I will say it's very hard having my, my daughter's like she's almost seven months now. And she's just at an adorable phase, but she's the cutest, uh, most amazing distraction ever. Cause I'm just sitting here working and she's talking. I'm like, ah. <laughs> and, and so it's, it's, it's a new learning curve. It's like, my wife and I are talking about like, okay, how can we have times where it's like, okay, I, I got to hide in another room, put on headphones, so it's canceling headphones, like forget about me for a couple hours so I can work. And there is this sense of guilt, especially with working home of like, oh, I need to be spending time with my family. Obviously, like that's such a privilege that most people didn't, like my parents never had that privilege of, you know, being able to be, be at home all the time. Like my dad was always busy working and stuff. Yep. So I, sometimes I forget that. I'm like, no, it's, it's okay. Uh, and I actually had a friend of mine who owns a, a design agency and he told me, he's like, you're going to need a separate space to kind of protect that. So you don't fight guilt all the time. So we're, I'm kind of in this like in between of like, it's working for now, but I'm definitely looking into like, I don't know, working from a coffee shop or something, getting, getting out. So I have more time to just focus. Cause I'm, I'm not a person. I, I can't sit down and work for 30 minutes. Like I need at least three hours. Give me three hours. Perfect. Yep. Otherwise, if, if you're going to interrupt me like every five seconds or if I got emails every five seconds, like whatever, that's fine. But I can't get into like deep, deep work because it just it just pulls you out every every couple of seconds. So honestly, I don't recommend people to do all this juggling, <laughs> this juggling routine, but it's surprisingly has has worked out for now. And it's really motivating me to, you know, finish Dewdrop continue to grow the channel and hopefully be able to go full-time here soon. So I, it's just, if you know, one, one, I guess two things to focus on the channel and, and game development, but cause it, it is, it's a lot. And it's, it is frustrating when you, when you have work, piled on work, piled on work, piled on work, and then you have to do the stuff that you don't want to do. Yep. And that takes the most time. You're like, ah, oh, it's so aggravating. So we'll see how it turns out. <laughs> I guess Deardrop will be the sign of <laughs> how successful that is, but it's so far it's i guess it's working out so yeah I, it's like you're pulling the words right out of my brain like uh i am <laughs> my wife nikki she is like it's so weird the way that she works she works all over the house 
and she works in like tiny little bursts. And I don't freaking understand. Like, how do you do that? How do you work for like 20 minutes here, 20 minutes there? And then, oh, like take a little break and read a book. And then, um, like, yeah, I need hours. I, I, I have actually found, even though I'm really comfortable in my office here and it's private and it's quiet, like being at home while, uh, like my son's off at school during the day, but my daughter is home. I have to go to the library a couple of days a week just to like get some really good game development time in. And it's like, I'm not nearly as comfortable there and I don't have two monitors there. I'm just bringing my laptop and I'm under the fluorescent light, but it's like, oh, I've got like, I can be here for like six hours and just like plug in and friggin' get crap done. You know what I mean? So, yeah, um, I think it's even just like, it's, it's funny. Um, my, my brother's been trying a new thing where he edits outside, like we're n with no internet. So he has all the footage and stuff ready. And just it's because you even that there you have less distractions. You can't you can't be like, oh, I need to check my email. I need to play a game. I need to do this. Like you just have to work. Yeah, that's kind of like a wonderful. It's kind of kind of stinks, but it's kind of a wonderful thing, too, because it's like, all right, no excuses. Get to work. Let's focus. But it's honestly it's a challenge. I I like major respect to the people that just like, I don't know. I, I don't know how you would balance it going full time. I, I feel like the best people the best opportunity if you want to start doing game dev do it while you're young do it while you're in school or something yep. like yep because it just gets life gets so much harder i there's some uh there's a gdc talk where someone said once you have kids it's a uh, hard mode so <laughs> game development is hard mode but yep. it's i i love doing it if it takes a little bit longer that's okay it's at this point in my perspective it's not a matter of like if I'll release a game, it's just a matter of when. And if it takes a little bit longer because of it, that's okay. I'd rather I'd rather have a, a family that I get to spend time with instead of like killing myself to like work all the time. So at that point, it's not worth it. So yes, that's that's awesome, man. So just to kind of wrap up a little bit on like, well, we've been talking about YouTube channels, which I, I think kind of is in the topic of uh, the topic of marketing a little bit. And I don't really think that a lot of game developers think that they can just make a game and it'll just sell. Like, I think everyone knows somewhere deep in the recesses of their brain that you have to market to sell a game. But I don't know if it's like so deep in there for some people that they just kind of ignore it. And they're like, oh, that's like, that's either the really crappy part of game development that I don't want to do, or it's the scary part that I don't want to have to look at. It's like kind of, they, it, it's like over here and you're just not going to look at it. I'm going to program all day and I'm going to ignore the marketing side of things. Um, at least I can say that from experience because I've been doing this for a long time and I've only recently started really putting my stuff out there, starting the YouTube and doing all that stuff. It used to be like, I'm going to make a game in secret. I'm going to make a game in private. And then one day I'm just going to like burst out and it's going to, it's going to be such a great game that it's going to do like really well. So I was in that headspace for a while. So I think, I think I understand a lot of people that are in that mindset. So just, I'm just curious from someone like yourself, someone that I think has a lot more experience than I do in this industry and has a lot more experience than a lot of the people that are probably listening. What are your thoughts on that? And also just for you personally, how much of your time do you spend on like developing the game versus building your audience? That's a great point. Cause it is, I feel like we do separate them out, but they're almost like go hand in hand. And we live in a weird, amazing world where you can, get money by talking about the game you're developing. You know what I'm saying? That's what devlogs kind of are. It's like, hey, yeah. this is the product I want to sell and watch me make it. And people are like, sweet, here's money for, you know, 
for watching, you know, <laughs> ad sponsorships, all this stuff. And it's it's really weird. But it yeah, it's it's a tricky thing because in the past we've done projects where, you know, we've made stuff and we put it out there. And if no nobody knows about it, then it doesn't matter if it's the best game ever. If no one knows about it, they can't support it, they can't do anything about it. And there's there's something about when releasing a game or whatever, a book, whatever you're working on, that there's this like momentum. You want it to kind of snowball. You want to have build up so much momentum and hype for this game that when it comes out, it just kind of continues to go. And otherwise, it'll just flatline. And that's not good either. So yeah, early on, I think I was in the same mindset too. I was like, you know, we'll just, you know, if we build it, they will come. And it didn't happen, you know, like no yeah. one, no one showed up. Unless you the only way that happens is if you have something so unique that people just instantly are like, this is so novel. Like when we were making our online games, there still to this day, it just is not a market. There's no, or I shouldn't say there's not a market. There, there is a market for it. There's just nobody making those games because they take a lot of time. There's a lot of development and it's intimidating to people and they feel like you have to have all this crazy structure to do it. So when we started doing it, we actually had a community to just start growing. We we posted one trailer. We had people join all the time. We had people donate. I mean, I'll never forget. We had someone. It was like a month that we did this alpha test of the game, and we had someone donate fifty dollars. And we're like, fifty dollars? Someone paid fifty dollars for this crazy buggy game, like to <laughs> support us? And it was it it was crazy. Like so in that situation, it was very unique. And even then, I guess you could say we did marketing because we posted the trailer, but. That's all we did. We didn't do anything else. We just posted on YouTube. But so unless, like, especially in more crowded genres or anything, if you're making something more specific, you really have to put yourself out there. And I've heard things about wish lists, like you shouldn't market your, you shouldn't get your wish list up until like closer, like the last year, because if you have like wish lists that are a couple years old, like they don't turn over as well or whatever, all this stuff. But I think in general, the more people know about something, it's the more they're going to tell their friends about it, the more, you know, the more success you're going to have. It's a simple, it's all comes down to numbers, which is like I, kind of a sad part of it too, you know, because we all want to, we all want to be like, we all want to have that Kickstarter campaign that you go to bed and you wake up and you're like a million dollars. And you're going to say like, that's, that's not realistic. There's so much thought and all the people that do have success, they did so much planning that you didn't see that yeah. they did to yeah. make that a reality. So I think marketing is, like I said, if if you're serious about a game and you want to get it out there, make devlogs on it. If that doesn't gather people's interest, you know, you could do tutorials and then you could be like, hey, check out my game too. There's so many ways that you can promote your game that isn't being like, hey, check this out, bye, 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 you know, like without being obnoxious. Like yep. I view it like if you're giving tutorials and stuff like that, you're helping other people out. And if they like your game, then you're just using your platform to help you know, market something that you're passionate about. If they like you, maybe they'll support that as well. Or like I said, Twitter, I know a lot of people that have, they had huge followings on Twitter and they had a successful game or it's kind of the re reverse. I've seen games that did super well on Twitter. Like like they had like 50,000 followers on Twitter and they sold like no games at all. So it's, it's really, I don't know. It's the marketing side is the scariest thing of it all because it's like, what do you do? How do you reach out to the press? All this thing, you know, all this stuff. And honestly, like I, like I said, in my situation, I feel like having a following on YouTube is is tremendous because, like Thomas Brush says, like like even if it doesn't do job doesn't do as well, it's still going to perform well because of the community that has been built up. So I I feel like taking the time now 
And obviously, like, if you're just starting a game, like, maybe don't, like, show everything. Like, it's okay to have mystery, because there's also, people complain about, like, yeah, man, you showed your game in every devlog, and then I bought the game, and then I saw the game. It's like, so there, there's, like, a fine balance of keeping this mystery. I think that's really important, keeping this mystery of, like, oh, I'm working on something, but then, like, giving glimpses of it. But, and then, yeah, it, find unique ways to promote your games. Or, if you don't really want to promote your games as much, try to make like games at uh, a faster timeline and that are on, on trend, but still at the end of the day, you're going to need someone to talk about it, you know? And if you have money, you can, if you have like 10 grand, you can get a PR agency for like a month or two yep. and they'll push it out there, but there's no guarantee that's going to do anything. It can, it could be the difference between you selling stuff or not or, or whatever. So it's definitely an unfun journey of any business person and something i'm very grateful that I, I work in a marketing department and like even though i'm a designer and like i have some of the marketing background to help with that but honestly the only difference between you and a market marketer is they have they spent more time learning about it than you have so if you start reading up on it it's not so bad you know it becomes kind of this natural thing i've noticed and you the way I look at it is I, on my channel, whether it's tutorials or whether it's the videos, I call them talking head videos, where it's just me in front of the camera, either telling my story or giving the best advice that I possibly have to offer. I'm trying to give people value of some sort, right? Like every video, I'm trying yeah. to give people value of some sort. And then I'm giving them a lot. And it's kind of like, all right, I can take, I can be a little bit selfish here. I can do a little plug for my game or for whatever it is. And I do notice I felt really cringy and really weird when I was first doing it. Like, oh yeah, wishlist the game and drop a <laughs> like on this video and subscribe. And there's so many calls to actions that you got to do, right? You got to do the YouTube ones and the game ones. And if you've got other stuff on the side, a lot of people end up creating courses and stuff like that. And they'll drop, they'll drop uh, calls to actions for that. And it's like, it just, uh, for me, at least it starts to feel natural and you can kind of just, you can do it. You can tell people about it. You don't feel weird about it. And then you move on and you keep giving them value kind of stuff. Exactly. Yeah. It is hard. I, I still struggle it, uh, struggle with it today. Like I'm like, oh, I guess I should, I guess I should promote this thing. And then people are like, wow, it's, it's funny. Cause it's at a point now where like, where people yell at me if I don't promote something They're like, I didn't know this came out. Why'd you tell me? <laughs> I'm like, I didn't want to bother you. I don't know. I'm like, it's that 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 artist side of me like doesn't want to pester anyone I'm, like, I'm sorry but then like it's also like if i want to do this as a full-time gig you have to you know you have to ask people and honestly a, a good perspective is people want lots of people want what you're making yeah they want you to t tell them about it so it's not like if they don't like it that's fine they just can they can skip ahead or whatever you know what i'm saying it's not you're not hurting anyone's feelings by showing them something that they maybe maybe you are but who like if if they don't like it, they don't have to buy it. It's as simple as that. If they exactly. don't want to support you or whatever, that's it's completely on them. But there could be someone who's specifically looking for the game you're making and be so happy that you told them about it. So yep, it's if you think of it that way, you're doing you're doing people a favor. So yeah, that's a really healthy mindset to have, I think, and I think a lot of people could benefit from thinking that way. So that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Regarding wish lists for your game, do you have like an ultimate goal? for what you're hoping your wish list count to be by the time that you release the game. And I don't want to ask you like, what is your wish list count right now? Unless you're comfortable saying that, but I understand if you're not. I'm so not sure. it, if not, are you anywhere near your realistic goal? Like what is like the top level that you think is kind of achievable? Not like a million wish lists, right? Because I think a lot of, yeah. you know what I mean? So yeah, go ahead. 
Yeah, so, uh, you know, of course, everyone says the magic number is like around 10K. So that was my initial goal. And we're like at 9,000. So I'm almost at that goal. Uh, and that's not bad for like not really promoting the game that much, as much as we could be. Right. Um, but really, I would like to get it moving on now Now that we've almost hit that much. I would like to get it, obviously, to like 20,000. I feel like that's a comfortable number. I mean, you, your game could still flop at 20,000. I know people had 100,000 wish lists in their game made like less than a hundred thousand dollars so it's wow. it's yeah it's it's all comes down to how you get them if it's just you know people are uninterested and that was a really rare situation but so that's kind of my goal but like i said i've i've kind of been waiting closer to release to actually start pushing it steam x fest fantastic if you don't have a youtube channel it's the best way to get wish lists. i think we got like three thousand wish lists just from that nice so it's it's a really a really great great way to get you know people to check out the game and honestly i feel like i feel like i i could get more wish lists faster if i was better at promoting but i need to update it's all the things you gotta update this i need to update the steam page there's so much things that happen before we even get to that point yeah but you'll probably be seeing a lot of uh, annoying posts about it closer <laughs> to the release but that's kind of where yeah that's kind of where i'm at and i feel like if if you're it's it's people say some people say it's like 12 to seven thousand is like the magic number I would like to hit like 15 or 20 to be safe. Um, I think that's what Jonas, uh, maybe Jonas had really had like 40. I can't remember. I think he had like 20 or 40,000. I don't know what he, how much he had. 20 is popping into my now. head, but I'm going off of memory as well. I, I think 20 sounds right. So I feel like that's a pretty safe number. I think that's more wishless than most games would have. Yeah. But that's also a very unique, like to get 20,000 people to wishlist your game, like that's pretty, pretty intense. Like if you think about, even if 10% of the people subscribed to me would wish list, which I feel like is still kind of a high percentage. Yeah. Uh, it's still a lot. So yeah, I would say there's a great chart. can't think of the guy's name, but there's this great chart and this guy on Twitter who talks about game design and he has this whole like spreadsheet, like graph of like, Hey, there's how many wish lists you should have. And here's what you should kind of price your game and all these, like all these really uh, helpful things on steam. But obviously, I have no idea if, if these any things are, are, are true or not because I haven't released anything yet. So take take everything I, I'm saying with a grain of salt. And if Dewdrop's successful, then this is your number one resource for yep. <laughs> education right here. So. so I actually, I have not checked. So I'm, I'm curious, if you go to Steam and you go to like top wish listed games and you filter by indie game, is your game on that list yet? Because if it's not, I know it's got to be close. I have no idea. I didn't even know that was a thing. So I'll okay. have to check. <laughs> because I don't know if you're familiar with Lost Relic Games' YouTube channel, but he, yeah. yeah. So I really love his stuff. He's got a great channel. And he did a video pretty recently where he was, and it looked like it, it's the kind of thing that could be faked, but he's not that kind of guy. He's a really authentic yeah. guy. Yeah. So he was he was just playing random games on there and then he stumbled across his own and you could see the genuine like shock and also like he's really happy, obviously, right? So and he sure. was he was a little a little bit cryptic about it, but he said to give you guys a bit of a context in terms of what it takes to get to this list, five digits. So you've gotta be like you gotta be really, really close. If you it sounds like if you pass ten thousand, you'll be on that. I think it's it is a finite list. Like when you're on the page, it looks like it goes on forever and ever and ever, but it doesn't. It has an end. My guess is 250, the top 250, but don't quote me on that. I'm not sure, but I was just curious about that. Hey, I learned something new. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So 
regarding you personally, uh, like you've been working on Dewdrop for a long time now. That's, you know, like it's, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that in the best sense of like, holy friggin' crap. That's like a long time to work on one thing and be like, I got to keep going. I got to keep going. Right. Like there's, there's always that pull of other projects that can be so much more exciting because of the infatuation yeah. stage. So what keeps you motivated to keep working on Dewdrop? I'm sure that Kickstarter helps a bit, but you know, like what else is keeping you motivated to keep on working so hard to get this game done? Yeah, that's a good, that's a, another great question. Kickstarter, obviously the financial or just like the integrity as a man to finish this game for people that paid for it, obviously is high on my list. Yeah. But even before that, oddly enough, when we started working with a composer, Peter, he like just working with him and starting to pay for tracks. Uh, normally, I'm not, I'm not the same person if I buy something. I don't normally have attachments to it. Like, oh, I, I wasted $100 on this thing. I like I, I don't have attachments. I'm like, all right, I spent the money, move on. Like, I don't I don't think about it too much. But there was something about having a composer work on the game that made it feel like, oh, this is actually a real game. Like, it, it went from me being like some guy just making a game and, you know, whatever, to I'm working with a, a you know, a agency to produce an OST for the game. And I'm like, this is an actual game. So that was a huge boost of motivation. And every time we get a track from Peter, it's just like, oh, it just gets me super excited to work about, continue to work on the game. And also the community, like, because like, I used to be the guy, I would work on a project two weeks, move on. Like every two weeks, I would just do that and move on and perpetually just make cool prototypes and that's it. Yep. But the seeing how excited people get about, you know, a project and, you know, getting fanner all the time. People like, oh man, I can't wait. What's this guy? And, you know, like people ask me about the lore of the game and it it makes you excited because I'm like I've always been one that I love to create experiences. I feel like that's kind of my calling in life is just to create great experiences for for people, whether it be like videos or whether it be games or whatever whatever it is. Yep. So creating an experience for them, it makes me excited because I'm like, oh, they have no idea and I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do that. So I think having a community, like I said earlier, it can be discouraging because it's like, oh man, I gotta make this great. But it's also incredibly motivating because you know it's great working on something that you know people are waiting for you know like and they're patiently waiting for it and so that really you know helps me stay motivated but the days when i'm not motivated like i'm not feeling super inspired i just think about the advice that sakurai gave on his youtube channel and that's just do it like you just have, you have to work like my my college professor used to tell me in design school like you don't get paid to be inspired you just have to you just have to make stuff yeah and i think if you're like if people are new to art or new to game development or creating and they, they haven't done freelance or that they, they really haven't done art for money where you, you have a deadline you have all this stuff it's easy to just kind of flake out about things like oh i don't feel like doing this or whatever but once you realize like no i don't care if i don't have them inspired like your your body knows how to create even if you're not feeling up to it yep and and you can code you can do all this stuff it's just you're the one that's just kind of holding yourself back so getting past that and knowing that you can do that, you don't have to feel inspired. I rarely, there's times I do, I do feel inspired, but it's like, it's less often than you think. And it's mostly just me. Like, it's almost like a day-to-day -day job. It's like, all right, I'm gonna work on this today. And, oh, this, this is fun. But I'm not like, oh, this is the most profound experience. <laughs> so I think that's, that's a, kind of a, an illusion of it. I think it's important early on to have that like, oh, excitement. Otherwise you would just get bored and never make games ever again. So when you don't have motivation, plow through, but other than that, just, you know, dig, dig deep. That's another Thomas Brush video is where he talks about, like, think, imagine 
you know, being on playing Switch with your friends, like, hey, you want to play my game? It's here on the Switch. Or like, just imagine some scenario with family or friends where they're playing something that you created and like how good that would feel to actually finish it, regardless of what it makes, the profit, whatever that, like, like money, obviously we need money to pay the bills. We need money to continue to do what we're doing. Like yep. that's such an important part. And uh, I think a lot of times think it, people think it's taboo to make money in game devs. Like, you don't understand, like I can't do this for free. Or at least if I do, it's going to take a long time. So yeah, it just, I don't know. It's, it's finding this balance of like imagining the success. I'm doing this. I'll be able to accomplish this. And then I can say like, I made a board game. I, and I can always say that I made a board game. If I gave up and there's times I, I wanted to, it was hard. If I gave up, I could never say that I made a board game. And so it's it just so worth it. It's so worth the sacrifice of the time to, to say that you've done it. So you're, you're clearly a guy that has a lot of grit because like, and I know that there's a lot of listeners out there that, you know, you've been working on a game for years and oh my god like it takes grit to be able to do that and i'm there's um a quote that i heard on actually a podcast called the mindset mentor that i listened to and um it has nothing to do with game development but it's all about getting you in the right headspace getting you in the right mindset to like get stuff done and get and like create the life that you want to create for yourself right and regardless of what it is that you want to do and he said something that really inspired me which was action breeds more action and inaction breeds more inaction. So I'm wondering if for you, it's like on those days where it's, it's like, oh, you're like, I don't want to, I don't feel like going down or wherever it is for me, it's downstairs. I don't feel like going downstairs and working on the game today. That sounds like the worst thing. And you know, and that is the reality of days some of the time, but it's like often when I'm having those thoughts, it's not when I'm in my office working on the game it's never when i'm in here actually working on the game it's when i'm upstairs i'm sitting on the couch or i'm like i'm watching an episode of tv or something and i'm like i don't want to go do work i want to do more of what i'm doing right now which is nothing right yeah exactly yeah i feel like you you nail it on the head because soon as you're like once you actually get into the groove of it you're like oh this is so much fun like it's like there's sometimes it can be like okay this repetitive come on let's move on but like but for the most part, when you're actually doing the thing, it's it's a, you you enjoy it. But it's the convincing yourself that you're going to do it. And I, that's something I've been struggling recently. I I took a couple of vacation days, and coming back, it's just like, oh, it's like, oh I gotta do, I gotta do, I gotta work. <laughs> it really is. And like, I people ask me like, how do you create all the time? How do you do this all the time? I'm like, that's literally what I do. That that's my hobby. And if you create all the time, it gets easier to create all the time. Yeah. And when you when you don't create all the time, it's easier not to create exactly what you said. So it will, it does get easier. And the best time I feel like for development is when you're just, you're on a roll. You just keep doing, you have a rhythm. And when I was, every time I worked on MMOs, it's never been like, oh, I have to work on that. It's always been like, oh man, I can't wait. Cause it was like <laughs> my favorite genre to work on really. But then it's like, oh, what we said in the beginning is like the whole day passes and you're like, what happened? I just, it, all I did was program one thing and it's like midnight. What happened? So, so and the, the funny thing, no one talks about this either. Like when you have programming that's so fun and so addicting, that is kind of scary too, because then you start to get depressed. Cause then you're like, you're so obsessed about like programming all the time. And, oh, it's so fun that you're like, you're not going out. You're not like showering enough and you're not seeing people and feeling yep. like the nature and like, <laughs> And so then, then that's hard because then you're like addictive and you're talking with your friends like, oh yeah, uh, yeah, um, yeah, my game. And so 
there's like this fine I, I feel like you don't want to be obsessive you don't want to be you know lazy but you you have to find this middle ground and that is the work like the middle ground is always the hardest road because it takes balance and balance like and it's easy just to, to you know topple on either side instead of just stay in the middle so but if you can do it balance creates consistency and you'll you'll actually finish something you know i'm freaking so. writing that down man balance creates consistency that's freaking amazing so you're like you're full of wisdom dude like i, I just want to pull out as much of you for, <laughs> for this as i possibly can but regarding people who are just starting out and like everyone everyone on youtube everyone everywhere loves to talk about how hard game development is right and i think part of that part of that's pride and it's like because it is a lot to learn and once you get to that stage where you've learned enough to be able to create a game it's really cool it's like holy crap like i can actually program something and stuff is happening on my screen when I pick up my controller. Like that's mind blowing. <laughs> but for people who are just starting out, what advice would you give them? Just broad, overall, generic, just big advice. What would you give them? Yeah, I feel like you don't listen to like don't listen to people on Cora telling you you can't make an online game or what. Like I I hate I hate that so much. And and I don't even like to throw around the word that much. But like I can't stand it when people are like, oh, you can't do this genre. It's so, you know, how hard it is. You're going to have all this money. Like, the, but the, the problem is, uh, it's like, okay, if someone wants to make an FPS game, if they're super passionate about making a photorealistic FPS game, let them do it. If you're starting out and that's what you want to do, it doesn't make sense for you to learn how to make maze games. I get it. It's complicated. But you will learn more by struggling and trying to create this game and going on this path than you will by just like, following some tutorials on something that you don't care about. Like it's just a proven fact they found this even with language. Like the most effective way of learning another language, not programming language, but like Spanish or French or whatever, is by doing an activity that's fun for you. So if you hate flashcards, don't do flashcards because it's not gonna it's not gonna help you. And the same is for programming. So like like I said, what really really got me into wanting to make games is you know Nintendo and also playing RuneScape as a kid. And I'm like, oh, this would be so cool to make your own online game, all this stuff. And that's actually making online games is what's got me into making, you know, Metroidvanias and, and board games and all these other things because I learned so much from it. And it took me years to figure out. Like I was 13 trying to figure out networking and I couldn't figure it out. I'm like, all right, well, I'll give up for now. And I'll try again next year. Yep. And I did that for like 10 years until I finally, I'm like, oh, this is so easy. Like <laughs> but I, my brain just wasn't de developed enough for me to understand it. So yeah, I, I think that would be my advice is like, if you like something, go after it. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean you're going to be successful in necessarily like commercially, or you may not even finish it, but that's okay because at least you're doing what you want to do and you're going to learn so much more from it. Because like I said, if you're, if you're making Flappy Bird clones and you hate Flappy Bird, then what's the point? You're making something that you hate. And granted, you have to learn the fundamentals and even like more recently, I've been trying to become like a more well-rounded programmer because I'm like, I still always view myself as an artist first, then like programmer second. Right. So I've been learning more lower lower level languages and uh, like doing a video in C++ was like the hardest thing in my life. <laughs> uh, it's, it's so difficult, but I'm making these more simple games again because they actually sound fun for me now. Like now it seems fun to make a snake type game or a Pong or whatever, like, but if you don't want to do that right away, just obviously pursue what you're passionate about and you're going to find you're going to go a lot further. And, and honestly, at the end of the day, 
have fun with it. Like I know this like the it's like that stupid when you go on like a Minecraft server and like rule number five, have fun. But like <laughs> it's so important to have fun because if you're not having fun, then why like why are you doing it? Because even like game development, like it is a grind you're talking about this. It's a grind, it's rough, but it's still like so rewarding. It's like it's so much fun and and I think we I think work gets a dirty word. That's like it's kind of a we yes. associate it as a dirty word. It's like, oh yes. we're in working. But working is fun, like solving a puzzle and or like working on a puzzle and you and you're frustrated, like ah. and once you sit, like solve it, you feel so good about yourself. Like that's work. But how come we're like, oh, that's fine, but no, after work is is bad. So understand that work getting working and getting frustrated and having your low moments and high moments, like it's okay. It's still fun. And I can't like I can't stand it when there's books, people write books about how to have fun or like how to make games fun. I'm like, this is something that all humans should know how to do. Like, you don't need a degree. And it's actually a re- like, it's a reason that ja- a lot of Japanese uh, video game developers, they don't hire people who are developers. They just hire, like, I just saw some video that this lady at Capcom, she's a game designer, and she had a degree in economics, but they hired her because she just was passionate about making games. She, she knew nothing about game development, but she's a great designer because she's passionate about it. And she, like I said, people know how... People know what's fun and people know what's boring. So have fun with it. Enjoy the game. And if the game's fun for you, it's hopefully going to be fun for other people. I imagine that there's at least a thousand people on this planet that will find something similar enjoyable as it is. So that's, I guess that would be my two, my two big takeaways for, for beginners. So. That's awesome, man. Well, thank you for sharing that so much. And before we kind of wrap this thing up, I just want to open it up to you. If there's anything specific on your mind that you want to share uh, with anybody, feel free. Or if you got nothing, that's totally cool. Yeah, I guess my my last thing uh, I'll say is the game dev community is is wonderful. Like on YouTube, there's so many people here that are encouraging you, like this channel, you know, like giving you good advice and and there's so many people that are give their time and their energy because they love it and they're passionate about it and so this is a great place to be and make sure that you connect with people on you know discord servers connect just get in community with people that are doing this because it's it can be tough sometimes sometimes that you're the people around you may not support it or not know you know they think it's weird like i've been very fortunate that my family has been very supportive of all this and uh but, you know, you could be in a place where, you know, you're a kid and your family thinks it's dumb. So it's important for you to, you know, find that community. And also, if you do have success, this is my, this is a, my cousin said this to me when I was becoming a designer. He, he took me under his wing and he taught me a lot of things. And when you find success and whether it's your game or YouTube channel, it's important that you pass that on to the next generation, that you help bring others up. Because like, like I said earlier, it's like, we're all in this together. It's like raising the water level. We're all boats. Like when you raise the water level, all of us rise up together as cheesy as that sounds. I, I love that, man. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. So that's support each other and uh, don't, don't write mean comments on our channels. <laughs> <laughs> I got to tell you, man, like you, you've got this like really amazing positive energy about you. Like it's just, it's been such a pleasure talking with you. I really, really appreciate, appreciate you. Really appreciate you taking the time. I just want to take a quick second to tell everybody like, First off, I have played Dewdrop Dynasty. I have played the demo. It's so juicy. Like it's it's really like don't let what you see in the demo and I like I see behind the scenes stuff because I am a Kickstarter. I help support so I get to see all the little goodies that come in in my inbox, right? And there's there's so much amazing stuff that 
I, I don't think a lot of it's been shown on your YouTube and like I not yet. Okay, yeah. so there you go. So there's so much really, really cool stuff with this game in the works. Go and wishlist the game. It's Dewdrop Dynasty. Go wishlist it on Steam. It's like it's gonna be such an amazing game. I saw the potential. It like the demo was fantastic. And yeah, I, I really I just wanted to take a moment to promote your channel as well. Uh, it's Goodgis, G-O-O-D-G-I-S. Uh, for those of you on the podcast that aren't going to see the description, go ahead and subscribe and go ahead and wishlist the game because it's going to be absolutely incredible. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me on. It's always, always a pleasure. All right, man. It was great talking Thanks with so you. Much. If you love this episode and you haven't already left a rating and review, please consider doing that now. It really helps the podcast grow and reach more awesome people like yourself. Thank you so much.